Welcome to A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, with Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Get ready to focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace, through practical application. Here is your host, Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Bonjour, bonjour. So grateful to join with you and transcend time and space together. Ah, I love A Course in Miracles. That's the truth. My name is Jennifer Hadley, and I am so grateful to have my friend, my very dear friend, Rosalind Rourke, joining me today. And we are going to begin with a prayer before I introduce her. So I invite you to place your hand on your heart. And let's bless each other. Let's bless our lives and the whole world with our holiness. We are grateful and thankful to come together in recognition of our perfection, of our magnificence, of the infinite goodness that we already are. So grateful to come together for the purpose of relinquishing any attachments we have to false ideas and false perceptions, the conditioned view falls away, it dissolves and resolves completely back to the root cause so that we can enjoy our perfection, our magnificence, the beauty of our true identity. We're celebrating love together, sharing the benefits with everyone all our brothers and sisters are lifted and shifted because we come together in this way, transcending time and space. We allow this time to be a time of healing and transformation. We let it be, and so it is. Amen, amen, amen. Yes. Yes. So I am welcoming someone who is one of the most precious and beautiful people I know. She is a longtime Course in Miracles student, decades, and she is someone who has been in programs with me for a long time, and she is leading and teaching beautiful programs and classes of her own. And she was a psychotherapist for uh, many years, 30 years more, and she is now a oneness coach and offering beautiful work. And she's an author. She's an author of this beautiful book, When Wisdom Arrives, which uh, came on to Amazon as a bestseller. And uh, many people I know have been reading it and loving it. And I am so grateful to hold it in my hand and to be able to share this goodness with you folks today. So uh, I, I hardly know where to begin exactly, except to say that Rosalind has been on an extraordinary journey, as we all have, and she shares about it with such heartfelt understanding and compassion and insight that I think we can all recognize ourselves in her and celebrate our humanity with her. So she has very unique gifts in helping us to love ourselves right 
where we are and to help us get rid of this idea that we're unworthy of love, that we're bad and wrong, and instead to simply remember to laugh and to have compassion for our humanity. So thank you, Rosalind, for joining me today. I am so glad we were able to arrange it. Yes. Well, while you were doing the prayer, Jennifer, I had a moment to remember, and I'm so happy that I did, because I would like to share with your audience that the structure of this book has a lot to do with my experience with you and in Masterful Living. Hmm. And I'm so glad that I had this memory right now because the book, When Wisdom Arrives, From Imagined Unworthiness to Freedom, it is in three parts. And, and the first part is a fable. And that is, my purpose in that was to use no A Course in Miracles jargon, no non-dual jargon, no psychological jargon to speak to psychological suffering. Because the Course says, and I truly know it's correct, is the only problem we ever have is a belief in separation. And so this little girl represents my story. And we happen to use in the fable the story of weight, but it trans it transmutes all all issues, all stories, all colors, all communities to whatever your issue is. But the part I wanted to get to is so there's a fable in the book. And then, because of my experience with you in Masterful Living, where you asked us to read Lorna Burns' book, Angels in My Hair, is a book I never would have picked up. I had no opinion on angels and no interest one way or the other, would never have read that book. And it changed my life. And it changed the book because my editor felt, and I had a great editor, and I trusted her because I'm not an experienced writer. She said it just needed to be the fable, the memoir is another story. But I realized that after reading Angels in My Hair and being so taken by it, that when I went to Ireland directly after that, and that spirit sending me, I, I, I had no plans ever to go to Ireland. So it all just happened. And in the fable, a wisdom character meets the little girl in person. And my editor and I realized at one point we both started crying because we realized that not only the little girl represented my history with my mother and her mother and her mother. But I had a real life wisdom character come into my life and tell me, you must stop worrying about Melissa. Now, I knew that with my head. I came to Masterful Living because I knew I needed to stop and I couldn't with all of my psychological credentials and I have plenty, I couldn't stop and I knew it was wrong and it was hurting everyone. 
But between you and Lorna Byrne and A Course in Miracles and the community of Masterful Living, before Melissa died, I was able to stop that judgment and our relationship totally transmuted into one of love and respect and really angel to angel. <laughs> um, and so really, I mean, had our paths not crossed, it would have been another story, a different story. But this book is, it has as much to do with you as it does with me and my experiences and with Lorna and uh I don't think I would have gone, excuse me for blow, wiping my nose, I have a cold. Um, I don't think I would have gone all the way without the basis of A Course in Miracles first. I used to say, I'm not a body, I'm free, I'm still as God created me. But I didn't know what I was saying. Mm-hmm. I said it. It felt good. I wanted to be something other than the hurt self that I imagined myself to be. But when Melissa passed, after I had my foray into stages of grief, letting them just fly, I had a moment. And I knew I was okay. I was actually shaken. That was my experience. But it doesn't matter what how I came to that. All of our listeners can come today, right this minute, to know they aren't their personal selves. They're not their personality. They're not their thoughts. They're not their feelings. Because they are the same you or I when we were 5 or 10 or 20. So what is that? Our thoughts and feelings change, but there's something that transcends that, and that's what we are. And in that minute, words don't quite do it, but I know, knew and know that Melissa has not gone and I'm not here. It's the same plane. It's the same energy. There are no other worlds. It's it's one. That's what non-duality means, one world, not God and us, not us and each other, not dead and alive, just the one. And the appearances are different, just mm-hmm. like a tulip and a rose appear different, but and they have different forms, but they're both the energy of plants. Anyway, that was a lot to, to say all in once. But no, that, that's so beautiful and helpful. And the I think that's a really great analogy with the two two kinds of plants, but still plants. So uh I, I would like to just give people a little more context around this conversation of your mind opening to other, uh, a wider view. So when you were 
let's say when you started Masterful Living and you were feeling uh, that you really needed to focus in on how to stop judging your daughter, how old was your daughter? Uh, she was in her 30s, maybe 31, because she was 39 when she passed. And I think I was in Masterful Living eight or nine years, so around there. Yeah. And I was judging the judging. You know, I was so wise, so elevated, so I'd done so many programs and a, and a Course in Miracles students for how many years since the 90s. And I still was doing it. I couldn't stop. It was a compulsion a looping in my brain, just like the little girl had. We're not all that sophisticated. When we grow up, we use the same mechanisms to hurt ourselves. And I knew I was hurting her. I was hurting myself because we're one. And we say that, but as long as we believe we're separate, we don't know it. Not know it where we can stop it. Yes. So hearing you talk about it this time, because obviously I know you well, we've had many conversations. What I'm hearing too is that your inner wisdom knew that, I guess I'll say time was short for Melissa, and that you had a profound desire, a goal in this lifetime to heal that mental pattern and also to offer your daughter a total acceptance, unconditional love. That That's what I'm feeling right now. And so spirit led you to work with the course in ways that could bring that result about. Yeah, and that's um, a very wonderful description of the experience of the mind. And uh, it's a summary. It's an accurate summary. It's probably the best words could do. I would like to add to it at, as to, to take it out of the mind and out of goals, because that, that is how I experienced it. It was definitely like a goal. But now looking back on it, I see it as a movement, you know, uh, like the way you talk about intuition. We don't know. We, we don't, when we have that intuition, go right instead of left. We don't have a goal. We might even have a goal to get there for the fastest and the directions say go right, but we have a movement that says go left. I don't understand, but go left. And that it was really kind of like that. And I really now see all of life more that way. I more and more take it out of my mind, take it out of my, uh, of the, of the description through my mind and see I move this way. I move that way or even more being on alert to anything that is in a struggle with what is anything. So I was going to a book launch this last weekend, and we ended up on a highway right behind an explosion, and we were three and a half hours late for my own book launch. Wow. Party. And I started like a separate person. Let's listen to the 
the phone, what does it say about the, what can we do? How can we, you know, just trying to change what is. And then it was just like when Melissa died. I could suffer or I could open to this okayness. I could still remember she's dead. So I could still remember the traffic. I could still remember I'm late. Or I can step into this freedom that's present right now that doesn't struggle with I'm late and and change the direction. We're not going to pick up a daughter Allie's friend. We're going to turn the other way, turn around, and we're going to go to the party when we get there. And you know, the party was way more perfect than had I been there early. Of course, you know that without knowing it. But it's these, these choice moments. But I don't even use the word choice anymore because that sounds like my mind is choosing. There's a movement. It feels physical, kind of more like close to intuition, but words are short. Words don't come up to the, the real truth, but but we do, like the Course says, at any moment we can choose again, or I would like to say we could move again. We, it, it's like two paths on the road. One is suffering and one is freedom. And the little girl in the story is trained, like Course in Miracles, mind training. She's trained to notice hurtful thoughts. Is the thought hurtful or not? Take a sweater is a practical thought. She learns very quickly. Take a sweater is different than your mommy's looking at your tummy and she she doesn't love you. Those that she learned to see how her own words were hurting her. And her freedom came when wisdom character played games with her to take her out of the loop. And that freedom is available to all of us at any time if we step away from our thinking and our looping feelings. 90 seconds, the neuro NLP tells us, neuro-linguistic programming, that we can have a new, new thought in 90 seconds. So if we just don't feed what I was feeding. Oh my God, we're late. You know, the traffic, how are we ever going to get out of here? Two people died. There's smoke. You know, that's the loop. Or it's just another place to live from freedom right now. And it's a, that's the thing that we, our minds won't tell us is that we can be free right now. Right, right now. Doesn't take a process, doesn't take more meditation, doesn't take more lessons, doesn't take more anything because we're not lacking anything, which is what you teach all the time. The ego teaches the opposite. And if we don't go through the ego, we're free. It's available right now. And we can choose that path or move in, into that path. And just experiment with it. We don't know anything there. We don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't even go for it's going to be good because good brings up the polarity of bad. Good and bad, it's going to be whatever. I like 
not knowing, stepping into not knowing, that would be trust in the in the coarsest terms. But I don't even go into like trust is a feeling. I go there without the feeling of trust. I just go. And more and more, the experience is so rewarding, so freeing, that it's so clear. Like even today, what was it I heard? Oh, it was something of Halloween, some innocent thing on the TV, and they were showing costumes on the news. And I and all of a sudden I remembered these amazing costumes in Melissa's closet after she passed. And I thought, oh, I could go into that nostalgia and really hurt. I could really, really hurt all over again. Hmm. Or I could step into today and I could look into this moment and getting ready to see you, which I could go either way, anytime. It's always available. Hmm. And I, I chose, it didn't feel like a choice. It felt like a movement choice I think of with my head, in case that helps anybody else. Sometimes we need new words, a new something to wake us up. That's why I'm making a big deal out of the word choice, but just in case Mm -hmm. it's it's a new moment for someone. So let's see if we can describe this a little bit more for someone who might be unfamiliar with what you're talking about. And what I I recognize in my own experience, because what you're sharing about is very familiar to me. And I understand it doesn't feel like a choice. Sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't. And when it does feel like a choice, it can be like standing at a crossroads and you see the different options available in the script, let's say, for me to put it into course terms. And uh, I've had, we've all had a gazillion opportunities to stand at the crossroads in any given moment and see different options. And we may see only one option but feel that there are others, but we only can recognize one. You know, there are many different experiences we can have in that crossroads. Uh, Because for for sure, I used to have experiences of, I could see there were other choices other than being mean or unkind or judgmental, but I wasn't interested in them, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, And my experience of the movement is, I can feel the field of opportunity and there's only one thing that's really got like a a magnetic pull for me, an energy you're calling it a movement. So uh, I, uh, it, all of that makes sense to me. That's like, no, there's really only one way for me to go. The others, they're, they're possibilities, but not for me. In this moment. Yeah. So let's, let's, um, I'd like to riff on what you said. And when there are not two clear movements, you know, where, where I feel the pull to go another way or the choice is clearer. So the first is to notice where I was when I came to Masterful Living, which is looping in the judgment. What is looping? It's going round and round. 
And, and we all do it. We have our favorite subjects. Nobody has more than three that I've ever met. I'm 76, so I've met a lot of people in my career. Usually it's one or two favorite subjects that we go round and round with. And it's either a thought or a feeling. And it's about someone else or it's about ourselves or it's about money or work. But your subject is your subject. And the very first step, which is all I could take when I went to Masterful Living, was to notice the looping. I didn't have that word then. It wasn't a modern word. It was nine years ago. They change words, but it's always the same because uh, we're we're the same. Humans are the same. So now it's a modern word from neurolinguistic programming. But the reason the word is useful is that it can wake us up to where we are. So the next step is to step one step back when you've noticed it. And I like naming the feelings and I make them more guttural than they even feel like I feel frustrated. Can't do anything with that. I'm annoyed. Can't do anything with that. I'm anxious really can't do anything that much with that. But my seven feelings that I use are joy, pain, anger, fear, guilt, perceived mistakes for guilt, and imagined unworthiness for shame, and lust or lust for life. Just making the feelings more guttural. So frustrated would be anger. Yeah. Just before you take that into the next thing, we already have to take a break. It's gone by fast. So I just like to let everybody know we're going to pick this up on the other side. You're listening to A Course in Miracles. And our guest today is author Rosalind Rourke. She's also a oneness coach. And you can go to rosalindrourke.com and learn more about her. We're coming right back after this break. Don't go away. Thank you for tuning in for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. All right. Welcome back. We're talking with Rosalind Rourke, author of When Wisdom Arrives. And we are talking about examining our feelings, emotions, and being in the moment, finding the flow of love. So Rosalind, please continue where you left off. So I was just suggesting these more guttural feelings, these these labels, if you will, because what they are in modern psychology is a pattern interrupt. It breaks the loop. Just that moment of saying, what am I doing? What am I feeling? How, what, how am I thinking? Oh, there's anger. Oh, there's some fear. Oh, there's imagined unworthiness. Oh, there's perceived mistakes. That gives us a little break. And now we could step into the observer. The the Course in Miracles, the lessons are huge in developing that observer. It has us look at our thinking and look at our attack thoughts. Really, it's all about working with the observer. And I really point out two steps, not in the book, um, but more on my website. 
and there is a free unworthiness test you can do that really is a, has comes with it a, a, a little a deeper teaching on this. But I really want to mention it here because because of the depth of your listeners and their desire. I notice in A Course in Miracles students, especially in your community, they really desire answers, solutions. They are not just looking to go over the problems. So what do you get by labeling this? Yeah, we're not really fond of labels, but in this case, we're we're stepping outside. We're using it to step outside and be honest. So we're not covering over with a spiritual bypass or anything like that. We're being ruggedly honest, even making the feeling bigger by saying frustration is anger. So the first step is you have an observer who still wants what they want. They still want the outcome they want. But if we notice that there is something in us that is aware of the observer, now we might have a witness that's less involved, that that cares less about the outcome and notices, gee, I can actually breathe a little more deeply now that I'm not in the loop. Oh, I'm a little freer right now. And in that moment, we have the ability to take a pause. In that moment, we can do the coursework, give it to Holy Spirit, do um, do your lesson. My mind thinks only thoughts with God. Or lesson 189, I throw it all out and come with holy, empty arms onto the oneness. And so that therein we start, we get we get off even the choices. We have the mind-body release or the beginning of it to compare to the looping. We're having a body-mind experience of a pause or a break or some something to choose with. Does that make sense? It does. And would you say that the, um, well, I guess I'll say first, just to give some uh, additional language to it. For me, the, the, I think of, uh, the looping as being on that hamster wheel of obsessive compulsive thinking. Like I just can't really seem to stop and I'm whirling and whirling and whirling around and feeling more and more, more distressed by my thoughts. Yeah. And so uh, that, as you, you're saying, the pattern interrupt to me is the most critical point to just have that willingness to pattern interrupt and to, I, I would say I go to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me now, just uh, Holy Spirit, get me out of this. Um, and that and to to become the observer instead of the person on the hamster wheel in the quagmire drowning in the quicksand that of thinking yeah. uh, yes. is to 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 jump from the sinking ship onto the shore beautiful yeah yeah exactly exactly 
And um, since the book was written for, hopefully for anyone who maybe even isn't on a path that makes makes spirit available, that sense of we are something more than our limited separate self, make that available. And we do that with the little girl through games. Um, and we get there as course students through prayer, through meditation, through just remembering the Holy Spirit. I like to take it to the point of non-duality because it's a salve to my heart. When I knew, when I remember and I know that Melissa is with me, then there's only one. So there isn't a Holy Spirit, there isn't a God that's separate from me. I'd like to have language that reminds me that it's all present and available now. Because it it just it for me it's it it, it, it it's an immediate um, it's so much more than a fix or a remembrance. It's a healing. It's a healing. And I and I have a problem with the word healing. I use it when when people use it, but if it also suggests there's something wrong, and there wasn't anything wrong in in that new moment. It's a new moment that nothing is wrong. So, yeah, I mean, so it, not even something wrong with our thinking, or yeah, because your thinking isn't you. Your thinking was just a moment. And it's gone. We don't even have to go fix it. It's gone. It's uh, that's where there's a little bit of difference. Um, thoughts are contagious. I can pick up thoughts from you. They're not even mine. Um, I don't have to do anything with them as long as I don't feed them. If I feed them, that means I believe them. Now I have a belief I have to look into. But if I if, if thoughts can come by that I don't even believe and they're gone if I don't feed them, I don't have to judge them, I don't have to fix them because they're just passing energy to me now. Yeah. So for me, it's helpful to think of healing the habit of latching onto those thoughts. Yeah, exactly. That's essentially what my whole fable is about. And watching the little girl fight with the wisdom character. Ah, that feels even worse. And she struggles. And so I feel like she represents all of our questions about how's that going to help me? You know, how's it going to help me feel better? I hurt right now. You know, um, I think we have those questions. How's it going to help me if I give up my thoughts about uh, lack? I don't have the rent this month. You know, like people fight in their minds. And so I have the little girl do that in the story. Yeah, it's helpful. It's helpful to see it illustrated in a fable. Mm -hmm. And so what what would you say is your goal for people in reading this book? What What is it that you're hoping for them to have as a result of reading the book? 
so let's let's define what freedom is so that maybe we're on the same page. For me, freedom is as simple as the lack of psychological suffering. When suffering is gone, I feel free. And I feel a hundred percent free. Not not there's more to do, there's a process, looking back or looking to the future. Right now, I feel free and I claim that. And I want that to be available to every single person who hasn't put in the time with A Course in Miracles, had to learn the language, or had to stumble along the odd words of non-duality, or, or do the prescriptive things of religion. Right now, if people want freedom from psychological suffering, there are some simple steps. And the ego wants to make it complicated, but it's really simple. Be aware of hurtful thoughts or feelings. Be willing to notice them and take that responsibility, if you will, of of being honest. And then step back or step away or just be aware that you have something in you that is not the thought and feeling because you're aware of it. There, Right there is that distance, that separation, that, that quirky belief that we think we are, our thoughts and feelings. There's a line in the book that says, if thoughts and feelings were true, if they were truth, they would be called facts. They're not. They're just energy in motion. That's what quantum physics shows us. They're nothing. We don't have to admire them and hold on to them, but we are something more because we are something continuous. We've always been I, even though the thoughts and feelings change, even though the behaviors change. Which which I are you? The mean you? The nice you, the friendly you, you know, there's so many yous. And yet you're still something continuous that's unnameable. Let's connect with that. And that is where the freedom from the thoughts and feelings come. She, the little girl gets it through games. Where did, where did my fat go? Where did my thoughts go? She's amazed. And... We can have that too right now if we're willing to identify, if you will, with something other than our thoughts and feelings. That continuous I that is more powerful than our minds can understand. And the Course tells us that, that we are everything that God is. Yeah, I, I I love the teaching of the course where it says there's nothing outside of you. Yes. There's nothing outside of you. So everything is within you and you are God. So everything is within God. You are within God. God yes. is within you. And uh it's it's clear. Right now. I mean, we, we don't have to put it off. 
it, it's a if if it can be available to a grieving mother, I feel like that's it shows it can be available to anyone. Yes. Yes. So uh, we we've got uh, some time left, and uh, as you know, I'm doing my grieving through the holidays class. Uh, it's four classes, and the first one is December 2nd, Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, Thursday, December 2nd. And you're kind enough to volunteer to come in and share some of your experience in the class, as you did last year. And I'm so aware, I've been writing a lot about this, thinking a lot about this as I'm prepping for the class, how in North America we are simultaneously moving into the physically darkest time of the year. And we are also, and for me, it feels so imminent, the, the darkness of just not having the sunlight. It's been very gray here in Vermont. And uh, also simultaneously, the, the winter months are the time when more people seem to make their transition pass away. And so as we come to Thanksgiving and the end of the year holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, etc., uh we're recognizing oh for many people, oh this is the first Christmas without mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, auntie, uncle, our child, uh, and or even our dog, you know, it's the first Thanksgiving without going to grandma's house. It's a, and that is very intense for most people. Uh, or there's this sense that there's just the loss, and it, it, we're reminded of it as we're coming to these holidays. And we're in this, to me, in a sense, precarious position of having had more people die in the last few years on this planet than have died all at once uh, because of the pandemic. I mean, just millions of people all at the same time uh, in a short period of time. And, and many families have lost multiple members. And, uh, and there's also this sense that with uh, multiple wars that people are dealing with and mass shootings as it is in our minds right now because of what just happened uh, that there's this sense even that I, I feel that many people are like I, I can't deal with uh, your 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 grief I can't deal with your grief. You know, if they've got friends and family members, co-workers maybe who are still grieving their loved ones passing, but there's so much going on in the world, so much seeming darkness in the world erupting all over the place. And that's what happens when we're bringing things to the light. When there's more light uh, uh, shining in our minds, we're going to be more aware of the dark spots of the shadows. They they come into a, a higher definition. It's just how the light works. And so, of course, light is the only thing there is and the darkness isn't real. But for many people, the darkness is extremely real. And so they can run from that darkness and say, 
we 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 gloss over and we we forget that this might be the first Thanksgiving or the first Christmas, the first Hanukkah, first New Year's or whatever that people are having without their loved ones, or it's the second or the third, and they never got to go to a, a real memorial service. It was on Zoom and felt so surreal that there was no uh, seeing the body in the casket. There was no, none of these things that, none, none of the holding and crying and and going to the wakes and, you know, just the different things that we do to help us process the grief. So, you, um, you know, becoming an expert in these years in in this and helping others with this, what what would you share with us to help us in this particular unique time? Well, you you bring up so much rich material, Jennifer. Um, there are two things that stood out from what you just said. One is how we tolerate other people's grief and the person going through the grief. And those are very different situations. Mm -hmm. And for the person who feels irritated that someone else is still grieving, I would look really, really big time at those feelings I mentioned and see which of those you're having about the other person go beyond their judgment your judgment of oh they should be over this or why are they still whatever your thought is and say am i in fear am i in pain am i in anger am i in perceived mistakes am i in imagined unworthiness and if i can feel those and take it back instead of projecting it onto the grieving person why am i triggered by them and own it back then you can go oh that's right i wasn't allowed to grieve when i lost my dog or i i don't know how to grieve and i don't know how to be helpful to this person so i wish they wouldn't keep on showing me that they have feelings whatever it is try to make it identifiable so you can be with yourself because if you can't tolerate those feelings in yourself you are of no help to someone else with what you think they should move on right uh, for the person who's going through these things um, you know that sign that, that there's a time under heaven, that song, you know, that, that line that there's a time under heaven that comes to me. There has to be that time, especially of shock. And mm -hmm. I think even when you expect the person to transition, when they do transition, it's a shock because they're no longer alive and we don't know how to conceive of that because we have hypnosis that we're all just going to live even though we know we're going to die. We just can't imagine these people not being on the planet. So shock is always there and and with these mass murders and 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 covid and there was there's even more shock. So leave all the room in the world to feel what you feel. 
I would say it's helpful to identify it. What, which of the feelings am I having today? I will share this when, during your grief course, I'm not a fan of the stages of grief. And I was around when Dr. Kubler-Ross came up with them. I was amongst the most grateful to have those identified as feelings we go through. But the stages, people are now hooking onto them, the idea of a stage. And now I'm in depression, now I'm in this. And like it's going to last, it's a feeling. And it's to be honored, but let's not call it stages that we stay in. She was using it descriptively, not as an example of how you get to acceptance. And I haven't found in myself or anyone that stages lead to acceptance. They don't. Sometimes right. acceptance happens in spite of the stages. What do, you, do I might be clear about what, what I mean by stages as opposed to a feeling? Anger, denial, grief, those are seeing them as some kind of, um, yeah, what's another word for stages? Well, almost a diagnosis. That now you're stuck in it. Now it's a label that's more than a moment. If yeah. we if we describe a feeling as an energy that passes through, a stage is the opposite. You're stuck. You're now in it. Right. Why would we do that? That that's not helpful. And then then we expect it of each other. And groups stay in the stages. So. I'm not a fan of what happened. I'm very much a fan of Kubler-Ross and what she first did. But I'm old enough to see what's happened in grief groups where people stay stuck in stages. And that legitimizes both their suffering and the person's loss. So I want to say that suffering does not demonstrate you love the person. That's a misnomer. It's a false belief out there. And people will come up to you and say, I know you loved your daughter. I know your life, basically your life is over. No, you don't know that. I mean, people will say, I know what you're going through. No, they don't. No, they don't. And it's okay. I guess this is my biggest message. It honors the person if you live to honor their memory with a bigger life and be happy and enjoy your life for them because they don't have that chance anymore and you're honoring them that way. And that's not a message that we hear very often in grief groups. So um, that's what's really important to me to be a messenger of okayness. You can happy is a hard word to use, but you can be okay in the sense of not hurting and follow what we talked about. Where are the movements next in your life? Are you to become a wonderful gardener? Are you to be a speaker? Are you to have a fund that honors this person? But that doesn't hurt to live in their memory to honor them. 
Mm-hmm. And one of the other misnomers is that you have your memories. Um, a lot of nostalgia ends up hurting. And the, you have to look at your memories. Is that going to hurt? If not, you know, if I say Melissa loved dogs, that doesn't hurt. But if I go down something that's going to end up, we can't have that anymore. I love doing that. And that's over. If you're going to end it like I did with that's over, stop it. Don't go there. No more hurting. It's not required. Loving does not mean hurting. Yes. So we're uh, moving into uh, this winding down. Obviously, this is a big conversation. And what I appreciate so much about your work in your life, Rosalind, is you are such a stand for everyone has inner wisdom. Everyone has insight. Everyone has access to universal intelligence because that is what they are. And that no matter how far away we seem from it, we can be there in this moment. Love it. Yes. Love it. So the no separation. And uh, so I'd like to point people again to your book, When Wisdom Arrives, Rosalind Rourke. You can get it wherever you buy books. And to go to Rosalind's website, she has many free offerings. She has beautiful blog offerings and gatherings. Then I encourage you to check them out. She's doing work with Dove Fishman, David Fishman, one of our beloved Course in Miracles teachers that I've done a lot of work with and admire so much as well. So we're wrapping up. Do you want to say anything more before we close out here with a prayer, Rosalind? Well, we're coming on to the end of the year, and that's the time that Jennifer starts sharing about her year-long classwork and the the, the shorter classes that start with uh, Finding Freedom. And anybody who's ever considered and is still on the fence, I say 100% do it. It's a life changer. So, yeah, I encourage you to... A sign up and see see when you can start and there are all kinds of promotions when you when you join early so you get a lot of additional things my life will never be the same that it was before I met you Jennifer so big gratitude well thank you and same here we're doing it together we yeah. are we are one one flow of wisdom intelligence love light. Thank you, Rosalind. And I will mention, I'm going to make a few announcements here of what's coming up. There is the Grieving Through the Holidays class that starts on November 2nd, Thursday, November 2nd. And it's just Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so we're just a very short time commitment. We concentrate it so we can really focus on that. And then I have my forgiveness retreat, which is so helpful to do at this time of year as we're preparing for the holidays. Forgiveness retreat in upstate New York, November 9th to the 12th. Come, if you can believe it or not, we're going to have so much fun doing forgiveness. One of my favorite things is when somebody comes because they're about to 
separate from their spouse or something like that. And then everything changes over the course of a weekend because someone is willing to actually do the forgiveness work. So let's do it. It's so liberating and fun. And then I follow that on the back right away with my spiritual counseling training intensive, which is open to anyone who's interested in improving their intuition, their communication skills, being a better listener, and uh, opening their heart in real and tangible ways. It's a week-long intensive, and people like to do them back-to-back. The other thing is, as Rosalind mentioned, my year-long course, Masterful Living, that registration is open, and the Grieving Through the Holidays class is a bonus if you register before that class starts. And um, then I also have a new program coming up that uh, I'm announcing quantum counseling. So I've gathered a bunch of A Course in Miracles teachers who do counseling from A Course in Miracles perspective. And we're going to have a year long program and it's open to anyone who is interested in learning more about counseling from A Course in Miracles perspective. And um, we've got Gary Renard and Cindy Laura Renard and John Mundy and um, so many teachers, uh, Tammy Keeves and uh, many more. So Aaron Abke, many more. Uh, that's a wonderful opportunity for us to learn more about working with the mind and having transformation. I'm going to say a prayer. We're grateful and thankful to place our hands on our heart and wholeheartedly recognize that there is a perfection, a magnificence, a wholeness, a beauty that is everywhere present, that is the very nature of our being, and it is also the very nature of everyone everywhere because no one is outside of us, and God is our life. In gratitude, we let it be, and so it is. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Rosalind.